bringing European SaaS together was the initial premise for SaaS Talk. Even in its first year, we outgrew that proposition with attendees from over 30 countries, making it a global conference with a European heart. SaaS Talk will be returning to Dublin in October 2022, and our super early bird tickets are on sale now, saving you 400 euros. Grab yours by visiting sastock.com forward slash sastock dash 2022. Timing is another one of those underappreciated elements in big outcomes to materialize. And we feel that timing really is our friend. And so we want to kind of ride the wave, be advocates for this new way of doing things and putting revenue uh, optimization acceleration really at the core of how you think and do things as an organization. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Armando Biondi, co-founder and CEO of Breadcrumbs. Uh, welcome, Armando. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I know your co-founder, uh, Gary Amaral, um, uh, sort of reasonably well uh, over the years through SaaStock, and uh, he's mentioned about getting you on the podcast uh, you know, for a long time. So, so, so pleased to finally be able to uh, to do this um, and yeah. Um, yeah so looking forward to the conversation um, so Armando kicking it off uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, you know as a person who is uh, Armando Biondi for sure uh, well I'm an operator first and foremost I'm running my third company now we will touch on it later on uh, I'm also an angel investor uh, I invest in about 200 plus companies at this point I've been in the tech space for 10 years. Um, before that, I was a radio host. Before that, I was a physiotherapist, which is a you know funny, not well-known yep. story about me. So I jumped through industries a couple of times at this point. Which of these things do you like the most? Physiotherapist, radio host, angel investing, co-founder? I liked all of them, but I love yeah. uh, being an operator first and foremost. I think about myself as an operator, just like building stuff. It's something that, yeah, it's hard to get otherwise. Best angel investment you've made? That's a good one. So I, well, Fedora, uh, Teachable, it was a very good return. Um, yeah. And then uh, AirHelp, I'm a tiny angel investor in there. Uh, and then another startup that I invested in was acquired by Stripe uh, several years ago at this okay. point. I'm now a stakeholder there. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. So you mentioned third time uh, founder. Um, so serial entrepreneur, uh, I think your last SaaS startup was Ad Espresso, right? Is yes. that right? Yes, 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 I, yes. I like I like the name. Uh, it's sort of Italian inspired as, as well. So that was acquired by Hootsuite, right? And uh, can you share a little bit about the decision there to sell the business? You know, why did you sell it to Hootsuite? You know, the time, what were you kind of like feeling, and what was the impact on on you and your life? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. So just to give you context there, Adespresso was about Facebook advertising optimization for small and medium businesses and small and medium enterprises. Uh, some of the people maybe listening to this will remember the name. We ended up doing a really good job with regards to branding as well as online presence. 
Uh, and to give you a sense of, so we started that um, September 2013, we sold it to uh end of 2016. So a little more than three years, we ended up processing about a billion dollars in Facebook ad budget through the platform. Uh, we were one of the top five partners uh, by volume globally, and actually the number one by number of advertisers, because everyone else was focusing on a small number of big advertisers, and we were doing the opposite. So funny story, there was the Facebook ads manager by global usage, and then Adespresso, which is, you know, yeah. uh, interesting. Um, when it came to selling, it was really opportunity cost versus time and risk adjust return, which is an interesting conversation that I often have with founders. There comes a point in the life of a company or multiple times in the life of a company where you need to make an assessment of what's the effort uh, in terms of work and capital that I need to get to the next stage, what's the risk that I'm exposing myself to in getting there, and uh, what is the outcome that I could capture right now versus investing this additional time, you know, work, capital, uh, and risk into it. And for Adespresso back in the days, it was a really good intersection because Hootsuite being the leader in organic social and Adespresso being the leader in paid social for small and medium businesses and small and medium enterprises was a really good combination. And they had the sales force that we knew we were going to the point that we would, you know, have to develop and didn't really know how to do it. And so it was, you know, kind of the, the best situation at the best point in time for us back in the days, which we were very happy to. And now you're in the, the CEO seats and you know, back in the co-founder uh, sort of hot seat. Why, why go again? Uh, I mean, I know you said you like being an operator. Is, I mean, is that yeah. the um, It's an intersection of, it's a really good question. Uh, it's the intersection between uh, an opportunity that I find very exciting and compelling, uh, plus a skill set that, you know, myself and us as founding team, uh, I do think we have. And the fact that no one else is doing it in the same way that we're thinking about it just yet. Um, if someone else would have been doing that in the way that I would have wanted, I would probably have invested in them or maybe joined that company. But And I've been looking for a couple of years before starting breadcrumbs, uh, but I didn't find anything. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. Awesome. Uh, and so tell us about breadcrumbs and, you know, what's the founding story there? Yeah, the founding story, uh, funny enough, actually traces back to Sastock of a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, myself and Gary were there. And then the third co-founder, Massimo, is, is my co-founder in Adespresso back in the days. And so yeah. um, I knew Gary's work for um, our previous time at Hootsuite, of course, um, and then moved on to Chargeify, I moved on to something else. Um, but as I started looking into also companies to invest into a little bit more mature, I started realizing that really what he did at Hootsuite and then at Chargeify was kind of a same type of approach, like an instant repeat type of process for different organizations at different points in time. And the fact that every organization, post-product market fit, really needs something like that. 
And specifically, the, the problem that Broadcoms want to solve as a product rather than as a process is this um, issue of customer data ending up in different repositories um, without really being connected to each other and as a consequence, not really being actionable in any way, right? Every company has a marketing automation solution, a CRM, a product engagement solution, and then data enrichment, and then customer success, and then billing system. And each and every one of these solutions work in their own silo. And so this creates a series of um, unintended consequences and divergent incentives for organizations. And so one example that we often do is that if you have someone visiting your pricing page and then someone else uh, converting from trial to paid and then a third person activating a new, a new trial, same company, same month, like that's a clear upside opportunity for most companies. And yet most companies cannot really realize that that behavior is happening because those data points live in different uh, repositories. And so the goal for breadcrumbs is connect the dots on that, hence breadcrumbs, and then layer on this idea of a logic layer on top, which is agnostic and abstracted out that helps companies dispatch the right customer to the right function of the, of, of the organization at the right point in time based on the uh, most accurate data set available. And uh, you've been through, Breadcrumbs has been through Y Combinator. Yeah. Um, and given that, I mean, you're experienced entrepreneurs, uh, you know, execs within the, the co-founding team, can you share like a, a little bit of the thought process as to why go through Y Combinator and maybe some insights into application, interview process, what you got from it? Yeah, uh, YC was a really interesting experience for us, partially because we were also with the other espresso. We went through Y uh, five hundred startups as a as an accelerator, so we we saw both sides um, of the Silicon Valley ecosystem there. Um, with YC, I think the value for us and the reason we got into it, which ended up you know being materializing as a value, was three things. Number one, um, access to network. Uh, of course, YC is you know, the largest and most valuable network out there when it comes to technology. Uh, number two, access to pipeline. So the fact that uh, YC at this point invested in more than 3,000 companies, I think, and every batch is, you know, they're ramping up the number there, which is a, you know, a different topic in it by itself. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of later stage companies, more mature companies that can be a good fit for breadcrumbs. And then number three, although less important for us at that point in time was access to investors. Um, and, you know, that also worked well for us. We ended up raising a couple of additional millions over, over the demo day on top of the seed round that we did. Uh, we raised 7.4 total on breadcrumbs so far. Okay. Uh, very cool. Would you would you go through it again? Having I mean, I guess you've done 500 startups. You've done one. Yeah. You do number um, four. What do you do in yeah. Accelerator? It's valuable. And, you know, it's kind of a like a compressed timeline and a lot of stuff that needs to happen in that compressed timeline. So it's kind of a forcing function in that regard. And I yeah. think it's useful not only for, it's like incredibly valuable for first time founders or, you know, more younger type of operators, yeah. but it's also valuable for more seasoned ones, I would argue. Yeah. So did you feel as a seasoned entrepreneur, if you, if you pardon the, uh, the term, that 
what they what you were learning what you were teaching is not maybe things that you already knew maybe there is some of that but there is a lot of like new stuff uh, yeah as well. there is you know there is a value uh within i would argue any accelerator but specifically yc which is related to the playbook is like uh teaching the basics on how you run a company and how to avoid the mistakes yeah and that's stuff that largely we knew already Uh, mm-hmm. But then there is a value around um, sharing experiences from people like the founders of Airbnb or Coinbase or you know a bunch of other companies that you only read on the news, um, and you have these sessions that are off the records, which are interesting, and you know yeah. they are the inside and outs of how you go through some tough times, uh, and yeah. that that's also very. Inspired. Good stuff. Uh, and breadcrumbs. So it's only just over a year old, right? So, um, yeah. as, as a business, can you share a little bit of data in terms of where you are? You know, at the moment. So I think you mentioned about seven and a half million raised. Uh, how many people? Any metrics that you can share that you know o- over the last sort of year? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So about a year, and yeah, I mentioned seven point four. We are twenty people now. Uh, mm-hmm. In the team, uh, it's as every team at this point. It's a distributed team. It's funny because we started doing this before the whole lockdown, COVID shenanigans, and so um, we are roughly split in half between Europe and North America. Uh, North America mm-hmm. being Canada, where Gary sits, and a cluster of people are, and then um, US. And when it comes to metrics, um, I mean, things are still early days, but things are going well. So we have a bunch of customers that we are working with. One milestone that we looked at from a product perspective, um, that was yesterday, we're talking about it. We are close to a couple of million uh, contacts that are scored daily by the product, uh, which is particularly relevant to us because, of course, it's a function of this new way of doing you know, scoring, contact scoring, uh, as well as it speaks about the reliability of the infrastructure. And then besides in revenue and ARR, which we are tracking being a SaaS business, we also particularly care about traffic and content. Uh, one of the things that uh, we uh, executed extremely well over the Espresso days was content marketing and becoming the top of mind resource for Facebook advertising. Yeah. And we see an opportunity to execute this playbook again with regards to um, revenue operations, revenue acceleration, revenue optimization topics, which is kind of all the age now. If you think going back to the PLG motion as well, it's a very hot topic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's largely starting now. So we are tracking traffic, um, and that's also going well. So tell us about then the last 12 months. What have you, as, a, as the CEO, you've been focused yeah. on to help get your business, you know, progress the business to these kind of next sort of milestones? What have you been doing? Uh, so I would argue that for me personally, it's... You go through phases of like top of mind issues uh, or blockers that you want to solve that are progressively looking farther and farther in time. And so there is a point when you are starting out that you're like, there is stuff that might be an issue 
like a week from now or a month from now and, and you want that fixed uh, as soon as possible. Um, and when we started, that was mostly like we started by focusing on functions and departments. And so phase, like the first six months or so, it was mostly around product and engineering. So getting the product started and uh, having something that was proof of concept, but stable and reliable enough. And then as that starts going, and that's maybe the first three to four months, and then it starts going, you start switching gears toward marketing. Uh, And that is also kind of a slow burn. Uh, whenever you do content marketing, you will see results 9, 12, 18 months from whenever you're starting to do that work. Uh, and so you have to start early. And so we started doing that uh, shortly after product was starting to get going to kickstart that uh, function as well. And as that started, we moved on to demand gen and sales motion and having a baseline sales motion that you can rely and trust. Um and as that also, that was the latest focus. And now we're really, now that we feel that we have that, we're really focusing on that demand gen part around, you know, now that we have kind of a baseline motion there, how do we fill up the pipeline? How do we talk to the right people at the right time uh, so that we can, so that we can execute and accelerate on that uh, playbook? What lessons that can you share that you've learned uh, from the last twelve months? Um, you know, with with the audience that's listening, like things that you know, what what worked really well, and uh, what maybe hasn't worked, and you kind of like, okay, that's not for us, and we'll, we'll do something else. Right. Um, hmm. Good question. So there are two macro lessons that I constantly have to relearn. And then there is uh, more like strategic and tactical stuff, but the two macro lessons are one, it's not always pattern pattern recognition across uh, all the stuff all the time. Uh, That was one of the things that I kind of thought going into this, you know, latest venture, but the reality is that it doesn't work like that. And so some stuff are the same, some stuff is similar and then some stuff is dramatically different. And so you have to understand and kind of navigate that situation. The second macro learning is that, which I also constantly have to relearn. Um, I'm of course kind of a ambitious overachiever type of guy. I want everything done now, uh, but that is not how it works. And so things do take time and there is kind of a process to get there. Um, and so, and one of the similarities or comparisons there that they make often is, you know, the fact that if, if you're like planting a tree today, uh, if you give it too much water or too much sun, it will either drown or burn out, right? So you need to give the right amount of sun, the right amount of water and time for things to happen. And so the balance between jumping in there and allowing for things to evolve and mature it's a tricky one for me, which I you know, constantly have to juggle. Uh, and what about uh, this year, the year ahead? So given where you are now and where you want to be in 12 months time, uh, what will be the focus for this year? What is your plans like to spend your time as a CEO? Uh, so we want to be more out there, I think. Um, and we feel that we have the, ba- the basics there. And the other thing that we are very excited about is that timing-wise we feel that timing is really good. Um, And timing, 
is another one of those underappreciated elements in big outcomes uh, to materialize, right? Most founders don't realize that or don't realize that to the degree like mm-hmm. which it's really important. And we feel that timing really is our friend. And so we want to kind of ride the wave, be advocates for this new way of doing things and putting revenue uh, optimization acceleration really at the core of how you think and do things as an organization um, and we think we can add value to a lot of companies there and so being more out there being uh, reaching out to operators in the space and collaborating with them around these topics and just you know kind of building the playbook for this um, as a collaborative effort we think yeah, that's definitely going to be like one of the main focuses. And then, of course, you know, product investment, um, ramping up um, headcount, potentially another round at some point, um, and just, you know, growing uh, revenue as much as possible for us as well. Awesome, awesome. And then looking back, like over the career to date, uh, can you maybe share like one or two of the biggest lessons uh, that you've learned that stand you know, stood you in good stead? Um, I think that one, the two that I mentioned before are like, if I look back 10 years are really where my mind goes back to the other, the third one, which we touched on is this idea of timing, opportunity, cost, risk, time, effort, adjust, return, um, you know, if you if you listen to most people in the space, um, there is this narrative about billion dollar outcomes that you know no company is a good company unless it's a billion dollar return. Yeah, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, plus, if you look at M and A's as an industry as a whole, like the reality is that eighty. That's, I don't remember the exact percentage, but like the vast, overwhelmingly vast majority of outcomes are below 50 millions or below 100 millions, right? So the ones that are really like 250 million, a billion, 5 billion, 10 billion plus, they are kind of the exceptions to the rule. And venture needs those outcomes to justify funds and to make the mechanics of a fund work. But from an operator perspective and from a founder perspective, the fact that you're not necessarily a billion dollar outcome doesn't take away from the fact that you might be a great business. Right, And so if you're growing, if you're generating revenue, if you're servicing customers in the right way, uh, it might be a great business, not a billion dollar return. Um, And so in that sense, that is also one of the things that you have to kind of unlearn or realize by being there. Um, That was one of the questions that we were juggling with when we were thinking about selling at Espresso going back to the Mm -hmm. exam, right? Like, should we, is this like, are we failing because we are selling right now? Uh, and that's not really the case, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if, with, with that in mind, so like when you, because you're on, you've raised venture uh, or you've raised capital, um, when you're doing the next rounds or when you're speaking to investors, are you then looking for investors that are aligned with that mindset to say, okay, well, like, you know, $50 million or $100 million would be good, not necessarily, you know, a, a billion? Because obviously, from what you read, again, that the investors, they want the founders to be saying, we're going to be a billion dollar company. Yeah. Uh, and that's what they're looking so that for. That is a good question. And I'm not doing that. 
I'm not telling them that $50 million is a good outcome yeah. <laughs> because our valuation at this point is higher than that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, I think like the learning here and the suggestion, the recommendation is that know the game that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're so angel investors can be okay with that. If you're raising, and the rule of thumb is that anyone that you're talking with from a VC perspective at any stage is looking for a return. And the return is function of that stage. So as an example, angels, they usually look for five to uh, 10x return. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get, like, if you can have a story around that, they're going to be happy about it. Um, seed funds and series A funds need to believe that you have a chance of being a 100x return. And so if you're raising at 25 million, uh, that's like 2.5 billions, right? If you're raising at 100 millions, uh, that's 10 billion. Um, and it's not that, like, they know that's very, very unlikely. You know that's very, very unlikely. But if there is not that chance, it's not worth for them. Because one of the things that not a lot of operators know and understand about funds dynamics, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I started investing as well, to get a sense of, you know, how the other side of the table works. And I would recommend any founder that wants to play the venture game to have a sense of motivations and incentives for VCs. So the one of the things that's not very well known is that funds actually need that outlier, need that one 100x for them to return the fund to their investors. And uh, most funds return between three, the top performing funds return between three and five X over the lifetime of the fund, which is eight to 10 years. Hmm. And so they make multiple investments. Of course, it's a portfolio theory. If they don't have that 100X return, they most likely will not return the fund. Yeah. And so they need to believe that every investment that they do has that potential. And as a consequence, that again, that doesn't say anything about the quality of the company per se. It could be a great business, but not a great venture business. Uh, but it's important for founders to know the type of game that they are playing. No, definitely. Great, great insights there. Um, uh, and thanks for sharing that. With, with, uh, so your previous role, you uh, with that espresso, you were COO. Uh, yes. Is that right? Yep. Uh, and now uh, COO uh, at Breadcrumbs, what what do you think is the biggest challenge being a CEO uh, in, in general, whether it's a SaaS company or, or whatever? Yeah. Uh, so what's particularly hard, I think, about being a great CEO? So the great CEOs that I see, they usually do a few things extremely well. Um, and those three things, and there are like three things really. One, uh, they make sure that they don't run out of money. So capital plus revenue. Two, uh, they set the strategy and they align the organization around it. Three, they um, are able to attract great people and talent to work with. If like if you can do those three things, uh, generally you are good. Um, and one of the big differences, which I'm still kind of navigating and understanding how to uh, perform 
and my best there between like the previous role as a COO and the current role um, is that like COOs are dramatically more focused on the mechanics of the business and our internal facing roles and CEOs need to be external facing. Uh, I need to be out there and tell that story and socialize, you know, that narrative and be the face for it. Um, and so having that and not like making sure that things are working internally uh, and then, like they are yeah. taken care of, but most importantly, being out there, right? What, what about the, uh, we discussed the challenging things or the things that you need to do well as a CEO. Uh, what's the most enjoyable thing or rewarding thing, uh, you know, of being a CEO? I love growing things uh, and I love uh, enabling people to grow. Uh, and so things, seeing that, you know, numbers go up and to the right and that things are happening and every week there is something new going on. There is the, your first this and your first that, and, you know, oh, this thing happened, which never happened before. Uh, it's like good signals. Um, plus, helping people become the best possible version of themselves that they can be. Um, it's really rewarding in that sense. How, uh, how do you grow? How do you be the best possible version of yourself, best uh, CEO that you can be? What do you do to, to try and ensure that happens? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. I try, so I, I look at, you know, uh, successful founders and CEOs out there uh, and you do a little bit of pattern recognition but most and foremost I think for me um, it's about like balance and being centered and so there is a little bit of meditation there is a little there is a lot of context switching between what am I thinking the market is gonna be at or where like five years from now and then the stuff that needs to happen next week right and or like next month and then next quarter for for us to kind of intercept that or enable that or capture and leverage that um and that is not easy but also very rewarding at the same time like one of the things that i find about startups and technology in general we talked about m a um there was one of the in startups in general, it's one of the most terrifying journeys that you can make, but also one of the most rewarding at the same time. So, uh, wholeheartedly uh, agree. A real roller coaster, but you, you know, massive ups and you get a few downs. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully, only a few downs, uh, but they'll always be there. Oh, there will be. I mean, that's one of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, I mean, this is one of the. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I'm a first-time entrepreneur, but you know, when you read books like Shoe Dog about Phil Knight. For instance, CEO of Nike, and then you see how many challenges and downs that, that he had and things that he had to overcome. And you look at Nike from the outside, and you're like, whatever, they're 70 billion or in revenue or what the valuation, I'm not sure what it is. But yeah. uh, just to see actually they go through as many hard things, if not harder, that we've kind of been through and just kind of makes it you know all very yeah. relatable and, you, know. you make a very good point there like most founders don't realize because you you know you have the perfect knowledge of your own company and you have a very imperfect knowledge like a very external point of view on any other company so most founders don't realize that every company is, is fucked up in a, if i can say that 
in at least in, 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 in a major way, uh, if not more ways, like any yeah. size of company, like the Apple of the world, the Google of the world, and then every other smaller companies, they have major dependencies. They have major challenges they are tackling right now. And things are not yeah. necessarily working at their best every time. Uh, yeah. And not only that, every company usually had at least one near-death experience over their lifetime or more. Yeah, you're not alone. It's uh, you're not um, alone. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. And um, so yeah, okay. We like a final question. Where where can people find breadcrumbs uh, online, and, and where can they find you online? I wonder. Um, everywhere on socials: uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Not on TikTok these days. Maybe I should. Uh, maybe should. Yeah. <laughs> like a dance video. <laughs> um, and then breadcrumbs.io. Um, so Armando at Bergrams.io, if you want to reach out to me, happy to connect. And if I can help, uh, I will. Good stuff. Well, uh, Armando Biondi, CEO and co-founder of uh, Breadcrumbs. Thanks so much for being a guest on the SaaS Revolution show and sharing with the SaaS audience. Looking forward to seeing you and the team in Dublin at SaaS Doc in October. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll... Uh, in person. In person. I know. Yes. Can you believe it? It'll be three years uh, that we haven't done it since 2019. Wow. So uh, it's going to be uh, very special. Um, It'll be exciting. Yeah, it'll be great. All right, good stuff. Well, we'll see you then and speak soon. Thank you. That's it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDoc conferences around the world.